The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, disturbing political ideas, and insects, lots of insects. Monday the 10th of June 2019, Sydney is falling apart thanks to a major threat to our national security. Dozens of boxes of baby formula. But it's not just Sydney under threat and not even just Australia. Almost every nation on earth has fallen under the yoke of tyranny. And on a much smaller scale, two Americans survive a frightening encounter. They were in shock. This is the 9pm Ladybird Baby Formula Alligator Doom Watch. I hadn't planned to record a podcast this week, and certainly not on a public holiday. It's uh, the Queen's birthday, but I am truly, truly annoyed. The other day, uh, three Chinese warships visited Australia, and I don't know whether it was some high-tech commie biological warfare experiment, or perhaps their secret inscrutable penguin moonbeam magic, but it caused an explosion of brain worms. Good morning. Three Chinese warships have arrived in Sydney Harbour this morning, docking at the Garden Island Navy base for a four-day stopover. We go live now to Lizzie Pearl, who's outside the Navy base. Lizzie, it's an interesting show of force. It certainly is, MB. Good morning to you. It was just after 8 o'clock this morning when these uh, Chinese warships started making their way through the Sydney Heads and into Sydney Harbour. There's three Chinese warships. There's a frigate, an auxiliary replenishment ship, as well as an amphibious vessel. And they were guided into place by tugboats and Australian military helicopters to where they are now, docked behind me at the Garden Island Navy Base. Uh, there to greet them on the dock was a small but very enthusiastic crowd of of Chinese nationals waving flags and it appears that that group is now on board one of those ships uh, getting some kind of tour uh, as it is docked here. They greeted the 700 People's Liberation Army Navy officers and sailors who will now uh, be docked here for the next four days but we do need to talk about the timing here because it is very interesting indeed. For the next four days while these three Chinese warships are here in Sydney waters our Prime Minister Scott Morrison will be in the Solomon Islands and the whole purpose of that trip is to try to stave off Chinese influence in the Pacific. The government this morning trying to downplay the presence of these warships here. This was an arrangement, it was a reciprocal visit um, because Australian naval vessels had visited China. It may have been a surprise to others but it certainly wasn't a surprise to the government. Now, the presence of these uh, Chinese military has also raised some eyebrows because it was only last week that Australian military aircraft were targeted by lasers in the South China Sea, and sources do suspect there was some kind of Chinese involvement there. And, of course, we can't ignore the whole sensitivity of the timing of these ships here. Now, the ships will be here until Friday, and that, of course, includes tomorrow, which is the 30th anniversary of the massacre in Tiananmen Square. Mark. Lizzie Pearl of Garden Island, thank you. Yes, thank you. Nine news for that grab. So that was the 2nd of June, and the, oh my fucking God, Chinese warships theme was in the media for a couple of days. So much screeching. 
So uh, here's an example over at news.com.au. Understandably, the arrival caused quite a stir, with many questioning why the public wasn't informed and pointing out the controversial timing of the visit with the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. Prime Minister Scott Morrison's offhand assurance it was not a surprise and no more than a reciprocal visit didn't do much to quell the questions about why the public was left in the dark. Now, don't get me wrong. The visit by the People's Liberation Army Navy uh, was significant. Uh, Peter Jennings wrote about it at The Strategist. That's the blog of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, ASPE, in Canberra. You can be sure, he said, that the timing and look of the event had been planned in every detail, right down to the professionally painted welcome signs, nothing is left to chance in the way the Chinese Communist Party commands the PLA Navy. The visit reinforces the CCP's domestic message that China is now a global military power, as the more strident of the party's English-language newspapers, the Global Times, wrote recently, quote... A strong Chinese navy is the guarantee for peace and stability of the South China Sea and even the whole world, end quote. He continues, when the Australian Navy makes port visits, the intent is to promote goodwill. Ships are open for inspection and visitors are hosted by smiling sailors. By contrast, and as the Australian recorded, that's the newspaper, the PLA vessels were guarded by heavily armed crew looking more like special forces soldiers on an operation. The ships were off limits to all but the most trusted local backers with the usual blackout applied to the Australian media. Whatever the reality, he says, the PLA Navy presence pressured our politicians into muting their comments about the massacre. And there's much more. Worth a read. Links on the podcast website, etc., etc. I still don't understand why the public needs needs to be forewarned about every naval movement. I mean, we got live footage on the TV news that morning. And what are you going to do beforehand? Oh, my God, the Chinese are coming. I'm going to hide in my basement and, and eat Vegemite or something. But that said, listen to what happened at the end of the ship's Visit four days later. And once again, this is from Nine News. They made their presence felt on Sydney Harbour and it appears three visiting Chinese warships left carrying some valuable cargo. The night before their departure, personnel were photographed loading dozens of boxes of baby formula which are in high demand in their homeland. The ships, carrying 700 sailors, set sail late yesterday. Yes, grainy low-res photos ensued. Chinese sailors unloading cardboard boxes from a van and people's brains melted. I uh, got into one conversation on the Twitter uh, today. That's, in fact, why I'm doing this podcast. It shat me off so much. I won't link to it because I don't want to single out that particular brainworm infectee uh, because there were so many others. And in any event, they've deleted what they said. But here's the flavour of it. What was in the boxes, they asked. How do we know? How can they do this, avoiding export controls and export fees? Don't know what export fees are. Is this even legal? Uh, well, let me reassure you, gentle people. Yes, shopping is legal. Also, travellers go through customs when they arrive in a country, not when they leave, no matter what their mode of travel is. So what's in the boxes? None of our damn business. 
Oh, I'm pretty sure it's drugs or something, said another person. Really? Based on what information? Also, people do know that known good baby formula from Australia can be sold to middle-class Chinese families who are worried about contamination of the local product at a 400% markup, right? And they've got Good reason to be worried. The 2008 Chinese milk scandal was a huge food safety incident. Uh, milk and infant formula, along with some other bits and pieces, were adulterated with melamine. Uh, apparently, that chemical gives the appearance of a higher protein content when added to the milk, but that then leads to a protein deficiency in the formula itself. So you think it's high protein, but it actually isn't. And some 300,000 babies were affected by this in China. Six of them died from kidney stones and other kidney damage. And an estimated 54,000 babies were hospitalised. And there was an, another incident four years before that, so 2004, where watered-down milk had resulted in 12 baby deaths from malnutrition. So as you might understand... Australian and New Zealand baby formula is in high demand in China. As I said, the retail margin. You buy it at full retail price in Australia, get it to China, you can sell it for four times as much. That's why Australian supermarkets often have limits on how much baby formula one person can buy at a time. Easy to get round, of course. You just have a number of people go in and buy up to the quota. So you will see sometimes at certain supermarkets or certain pharmacies, particularly the discount ones, like a, a, a stream of students going in to buy uh, the full tote, bring it outside, put it in a suitcase that someone has, and once it's stocked up, students take it home for the holidays. They can even get special freight deals. So in my view, any planned sailor who doesn't buy up their full quota of Australian baby formula is a fucking idiot. Good on them. So then this person said, oh, great. So the Chinese Navy is running a black market in baby formula. I wouldn't buy my baby formula off the back of a ship. <sighs> the punters know it's better quality than what they can get at home. But anyway, no, it's not black market. It's all quite public. These... Sailors are just shopping like sailors on shore leave have always been able to do. Back in the day, people from places like China used to buy up, you know, those, those degenerate capitalist goods like denim jeans and rock music. There's literally no difference between this and you buying your mates duty-free booze and fags on the way back from your dodgy barley holiday. But how dare they buy our quality merchandise? But back to drugs, here was the other thought. What if the boxes only said it was baby formula? They're in a warship. This is, it's the uniform of a communist country. They're toting machine guns. How are they allowed to do this and get away with getting through customs? <sighs> I imagine the Chinese Navy isn't exactly supportive of any sailors who are found dealing drugs. And anyway... Why would Chinese sailors buy drugs in Australia when it's one of the most expensive drug markets in the world? They, they'd be shipping it the other way. And no matter how many times I said it, I couldn't get that one message through. There are no customs procedures on departure. And on arrival, 
visiting naval personnel do go through customs and their guns, sorry, the machine guns they're toting, like they never leave the ship. And vehicles like this van coming into Royal Australian Navy bases, they're, they're screened. So why does it matter what sort of ship this is? Sailors on shore leave are tourists. And if they choose to use a van for their collective purchases, well, that's just sensible planning. Um, some years ago, there was uh, US Air Force missile tests up at Australia's Woomera uh, missile test range in, in the outback well north of Adelaide. And because there was a US Air Force unit there, there was a regular cargo plane run. I, if I remember correctly, it was a C-5 Galaxy once or twice a week because military transport at that scale operates just like any other airline with a schedule that you can plan to and then extra flights if you've got a particularly large amount of stuff. So while this enormous aircraft was doing this regular run to Australia, the deal was that if there was any room on the plane, the US Air Force personnel could bring over personal stuff because the plane's flying anyway, right? So they brought over their cars. They brought over giant boxes of Twinkies because they couldn't buy them in Australia. So for a period around Woomera, there were these enormous fucking American cars going around. And, and again... So what? So fucking what? So then, this person came up with what I think is the dumbest take of all. They said, look, baby formula is used to cut drugs. What if these sailors were buying the baby formula to get it to the Golden Triangle in Southeast Asia to cut drugs with? I mean, what the... What the fuck? So... For those of you who who haven't got brainworms and would like to understand this, when drugs are shipped internationally, it's the uncut drugs because the packages are smaller and easier to hide, and the cutting happens at the retail end. And and as I say, why would serving sailors take the risk of execution for for something related to the drug trade when they can make four hundred percent profit totally legitimately? And then more to the point, why would Burmese drug lords buy baby formula from Australia we can get, like, when they can get the shit stuff from across the border in China at quarter the price? Or they could use fucking rat, but no one, like rat boys, and no one, oh. But no, oh my fucking God, China! Is there actually anything behind this apart from racism? I mean... By all means, talk about the strategic implications of China's global strategy. But seriously, what was the threat to national security here? Oh, that's right. It's dozens of boxes of baby formula. Dozens of boxes. Dozens of them. Dozens! For fuck's sake, people. Sailors buying things while on shore leave is not a cause for concern. In the news this morning, for other reasons, was Dennis Richardson, who was once Australia's Director General of Security. And uh, in an interview on Radio National, he had this to say. Over the last few days, we've had some commentators say that the government's kowtowing uh, to China. A few months ago, uh, the commentary was that uh, the government was being too harsh. I think it's absolute nonsense to suggest uh, that the government has been kowtowing uh, to China. 
uh, all the kerfuffle around uh, the visit by the US, uh, by the Chinese naval vessels, I think that could have been handled a whole lot better, and I'm not quite sure what happened there. I suspect there are, there, there are elements of simply muck-up. Uh, but having said that, uh, we ought to be welcoming visits by Chinese naval naval vessels. Uh, there's a touch of paranoia in some of the commentary at the moment in respect of China. God, imagine the outrage if those Chinese sailors had bought avocados. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to the Edict. Uh, Nicholas Fryer isn't with us today. Uh, this is, as I said, an unscheduled episode. Uh, Nick and I will be recording uh, a new one on Friday week. So what's that about? Uh, a number of days away. But it's probably good he's not here because that means he'll be safe from the ladybug invasion. Uh, this report is from KTLA-TV Los Angeles, uh, where the other day they were looking at what appeared to be a cloud on the weather radar, uh, but it wasn't. This is unbelievable. It's a high-flying swarm of ladybugs. What? Shown on a radar. The large cloud of ladybugs, called a bloom, showed up on the National Weather Service's radar in San Diego County last night. The service says the bloom appears to be about 80 miles long by 80 miles wide. The ladybugs aren't all clustered together. Rather, they're spread throughout the sky, flying at an altitude of somewhere between five and 9,000 feet. Researchers say that the warmer weather affects their migration, and it may be responsible for the swarm. Or maybe the real risk is alligators. Alligators! WFTX-TV, Fox 4 in Fort Myers, Florida. A Gainesville couple decided to have a nice date out by Lake Alice, famous lake near UF, but they were surprised by a visitor. Taylor Forte planned a picnic spread for her fiance, Trevor Walters, on Thursday. This was gonna be a special date night before he leaves for the Marines in 10 weeks. But they were in shock when a gator swam up to the bank and crawled right onto the beach they sprinted away from their little romantic spot on the blanket there. And then the gator went to town on their food. He annihilated an entire block of cheese, gobbled it down, lickety split. The salami didn't stand a chance. And then the worst part, he goes over, we have this big bowl of guac made. He eats the whole bowl. He put the whole bowl in his mouth and just like. That must have been good guac. The gator washed it all down with half a watermelon and a pound of grapes. The guy says he then scared the gator, it went back into the water. If you come across a nuisance gator, you definitely wanna call the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They've got a hotline and chances are that gator probably was fed. So please never feed a gator. Yeah, some excellent advice there from Fox 4. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. Elephant Stamp Time. In most episodes of this podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And uh, this week, two. The first one goes to Mr. Salim Mahajer, uh, who was former Deputy Mayor of Auburn. That's a Sydney suburb. If the name rings a bell, but you can't quite place it, here's a reminder via ABC News. 
Former Auburn Deputy Mayor Salim Mahajit will spend at least 11 months in jail for electoral fraud. A Sydney magistrate has imposed a 21-month sentence for 77 cases of electoral fraud in 2012. Mahajit's sister, Fatima, was earlier given a two-month suspended prison sentence for electoral fraud. She pleaded guilty to 77 counts of breaching the Electoral Act by submitting false information to the Australian Electoral Commission in the lead-up to the Auburn local government elections. Mr Mahaja also has apprehended violence orders made out against him and convictions for intimidation, assault and various drug charges. Uh, One of the assault charges was for deliberately shutting a car door on a Seven News reporter's hand. He's a lovely chap. Well, here's this week's news. Disgraced businessman Salim Mahajar is once again a free man after he was arrested yesterday for breaching bail conditions. The 32-year-old emailed a witness in one of his ongoing court cases, today telling a court he had been confused by his many bail restrictions. Mahajar was only released from prison two weeks ago after serving 11 months for electoral fraud. So an elephant stamp of approval to Salim Mahajar for not being clever enough to understand the restrictions on his bail conditions, such as not contacting witnesses. It's worth reading the report links on the website. Uh, The second of our uh, elephant stamps this time goes to Fox News' resident brain genius, Tucker Carlson. Almost every niche on earth has fallen under the yoke of tyranny, the metric system. From Beijing to Buenos Aires, from Lusaka to London, the people of the world have been forced to measure their environment in millimetres and kilograms. The United States is the only major country that's resisted, but we have no reason to be ashamed for using feet and pounds. So says new Criterion editor James Panero. We spoke with him recently. I'm joining you tonight as I'm joining you tonight as an anti-metrite. I'm taking a stand against the metric system, the original system of global revolution and new world orders. God bless you. That's ex- and that's exactly what it is. Esperanto died, but the metric system continues. This weird, utopian, inelegant, creepy system that we alone have resisted. How long can we hold out against it, would you say? Well, today, as you mentioned, the United States stands nearly alone in the world in maintaining customary measures, the inch, the pound, the foot, the mile, and we should stand tall on our own two feet, I say, because it was customary measures that measured out the Industrial Revolution and customary measures that took us to the moon. The metric system, meanwhile, is the product of the French Revolution. It was imposed at the business end of the guillotine. So why are our leaders so anxious that we join the rest of the world in using, you know, Robespierre's favorite standard of measurement? I don't understand. I don't understand either, Tucker. I mean, the entire world uses it to conduct their international trade, except for America. Why would America want to be part of this tyranny, the tyranny of the kilogram? Kilograms. Actually, that's not the only bit I love about that Fox News clip. I mean, Tucker Carlson is, is, as I say, a brain genius that you should follow regularly. I also love the little symbol zing they put before playing a pre-recorded interview. 
Let's hear that again. So, elephant stamp of approval for excellence in the category of thinking, once more, once more, to Tucker Carlson. This podcast is made possible by you. That's right, you, the generous listeners, through your subscriptions and one-off contributions. Now, this time I do have to say I'm disappointed that the latest uh, crowdfunding campaign at Possible, the 9pm Brisbane Podcast 2019, whatever it was called, didn't get past around 21% of its uh, fundraising target. Now, I think, look, look. Thank you for those uh, who did pledge some support but who now have not been charged. Uh, That's really nice. The fault uh, is mine because uh, two things. I think it was – well, three things. I think it was too soon after the last campaign where where we did support Black Dog Institute as well. I had a ridiculously short time frame put in for it and – I hadn't really communicated any kind of coherent plan for it, uh, largely because there was no coherent plan and I was going to make it up as I went along. So that's not good enough, really. That really isn't good enough and I'm ashamed. So sadly, that didn't happen. Uh, But if you would like to support uh, this podcast and my other uh, ventures, such as my endless shit posting on Twitter, more generally, uh, for a tip, go to stillgarian.com slash tip stillgarian.com slash tip but if you would like to subscribe to make regular contributions for added benefits as detailed on the website then go to skank.com.au slash subscribe that's skank.com.au slash subscribe go to either one of them they're they're cross-linked you'll figure it out so please do that that'll be lovely Now, I did uh, predict the election of Donald Trump as president of the United States. That was kind of funny. Um, Did I predict Labor not winning the Australian federal election? No, I don't think I did. I've certainly uh, put down Donald Trump for four more years. And, And as time goes on, I'm even more certain of that. Well... One of the front runners in the choice uh, that the UK faces for its next Prime Minister is, of course, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. Uh, That would be interesting. Trump is supporting him, so there's that. But someone who is not supporting him is uh, Guardian columnist Owen Jones, uh, who by that name you might understand is Welsh. He delivered a wonderful tirade against Boris Johnson uh, just recently, possibly even just today. Here it is. I think he's got every chance of winning. And I have to say, you know, one of the, I'm afraid, big faults at the moment in this whole debate is the lack of scrutiny of Boris Johnson, who is very likely to become the prime minister of this country in a matter of weeks. Why why aren't we asking, uh, does he still think that gay people should be called bum boys? Does he still think that equal marriage should be compared to to three men marrying a dog? Does he still believe that black people should be called pickaninnies with watermelon smiles? Does he still think 
that it's acceptable to compare Muslim women to bank robbers and to letterboxes. Why should we trust somebody who was sacked twice for dishonesty, once by his newspaper and once by a Conservative leader? Is somebody who once conspired with a criminal friend to beat up a journalist fit for high office? Is somebody who wrote one column supporting Remain and another column supporting Leave, is that somebody who's driven by anything else other than his own career? We're not talking about these discussions. And I could go on, by the way, the fact that senior Conservative aides say that uh, when they, he was in meetings, he couldn't concentrate, he wasn't briefed, he was, uh, he was an embarrassment, one of them said. One career diplomat described serving under him as foreign secretary is the only time he was embarrassed to represent his own country. But we're not having this discussion because all too often, I'm afraid to say, and I speak as somebody who has worked in the British media now for the best part of a decade, Boris Johnson is treated as a bit of a circus, a bit of a joke, a bit of a laugh. But he is somebody who has peddled racism, he's serially dishonest, he's a charlatan, but we're not having that conversation because, again, and it's worth emphasising this, if you are from a posh background, you can more or less get away with anything in this country. Owen Jones there. Does he ever stop to take breath? Anyway, to wrap up this episode, uh, this unscheduled episode, I want to go back to that first item and the threat to Australia of the... Dozens of boxes of baby formula. And for the first time in ages, years in fact, I'm going to declare an edict. This is edict number 88. Whenever you or anyone else feels like raising concerns about something, whatever the topic... Before you open your mouth or send a single tweet, ask yourself one simple question. So what? What does it matter? Is the thing you're getting worked up about actually something to be concerned about? Or is it just something different? Is it even something that's any of your fucking business at all? Do your concerns... Say more about your own ignorance, prejudices, or desire to control others than about anything else. Take those Chinese sailors, for example. They bought a bunch of baby formula. So what? Oh, they might be taking away something else. So what? Who cares? That's their problem. Or maybe it's a black market. Again, so what? How does that affect us? But they arrived in a warship. Again, so what? They bought some stuff. Good on them. Don't make your concerns about China, whether they be well-founded concerns about expansionism or just some old-fashioned yellow peril racism, don't turn that into some bullshit drama about a few blokes going shopping. Keep asking the question, so what? Keep asking it, so what? You'll either dig down to the real concern or you'll soon realise that there's really nothing to be concerned about at all. And even then, so what? So fucking what? Ah, I forgot to specify a penalty for disobeying the edict. Oh, well. Uh, that's all the edict for now. If you'd like to support this podcast, dulgarian.com slash tips, skank.com.au slash subscribe. The next episode will be on Friday, the 21st of June with Nicholas Fryer. Until then, I'm Stilgarian. Have a good one. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, before I go, a stop press or stop recording or stop distributing or something. Just as I finished recording this podcast, uh, a new story 
came to my attention. The Chinese media has attacked the baby milk hysteria, as they called it in Australia. They say that there was nothing else in Australia worth buying. Thank you and good night. The 9pm edict is a skank media production. Sorry.